So we've been talking about <laughs> propitiation today. So, so do you think that God changes from, I guess that's one question is, does, is God being angry at one moment and then he's changing to being loving and then back to being angry or how does that work? You never stop loving. It's just you're disappointed at times of their, you know, their actions. Uh, but as I tell them, I don't like you right now, but I will always love you. Yeah. I don't like your behavior. I don't like who you are right now, but I will always love you. I think we have to look at God through time. I mean, you can't just see a momentary picture of him like in the New Testament. You have to see him through from creation all the way through to present and understand that who he is, that's who he is. And if you're in a relationship with him, mm -hmm. that's who he's going to be. He's right. going to be, he's going to require justice. He's going to be righteous. He never changes. He, he is holy. We are not. Mm -hmm. So you have to see him through eternity, yeah. not in a brief right. time. Yeah. God is 100% his attributes all the time. Yeah. yeah. So he's, so he's always he wrathful against... Start another. It's 100% love all the time, 100% justice yes. all the time. Yeah. Yeah. And I would say um, it's important to think about like how one of the ways in which those fit together is that God hates those things with equal um, strength in the same degree to which he loves that which they oppose. Right? So... God loves all that is good, and, and he hates all that is evil, because it, it goes against what is good. And so, if you think about the example of parenting, right, we, if I think about one of my ch children hits one of my other children, right, I'm equally loving that I love my children, I want to protect them from harm, but I hate that behavior, why? Because it threatens that which I love. It goes against, it attacks, it seeks to destroy that which I love. And so when we think about um, how love and God's love and his wrath work together, many way, there's many ways in which our love is not enough, but our hatred or our anger against those things that are evil and sinful is also not enough. It, both our love of what is good and our hatred of what is evil both need to grow to be what God, uh, see things in the way God, God sees them. And are we making him in our image or in his image? So it, as humans, we want him to be who we want him to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At, at the time we want it. So we, if we don't truly know who he is, we're going to make him something else. Yeah. Yeah. And we'll make him, at times we'll make him uh, into our image of what we think is most loving. <clears throat> and maybe that may, might mean taking, pulling away some of that wrath and some of that justice. And other times it may, we might want to make him more uh, wrathful and more just and less compassionate and gracious if it's kind of our enemies that are opposing us. I think that's the thing, is we see emotions, positive or negative emotions, as something that overcome us and yeah. that control us. Right, and we and lose God, control. Right, and God is never controlled by his anger so that he just lashes out in yeah. an uncontrolled way. And he's never controlled by his love so that we can't woo him to do something against his yeah. will. Yeah. His will is settled. Mm -hmm. And all the other things interact within him, but he's always under his own control. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and his anger is righteous mm -hmm. anger. And often ours is not. not yeah. Right. So right. to compare, like, when we are angry, 
compared to like God's anger. Mm -hmm. There's a vast difference in that. Yeah, very much so. So uh, when we see those differences, it's often allow we have to allow ourselves to be shaped to in the word to see what is it that God loves and what is it that he hates and allow our passions to be ruled by God's uh, uh, God's revealed will in those cases. So when we think about that, so we've got his propitiation is is that payment, and so it kind of lingers to one of the last one of the last things that goes with this. So we have all of our sin is placed on Christ. God's wrath and punishment is poured out on Him, and that pays for and atones for our sins completely. Okay, so that He wipes out all of our debt. There's nothing left to be paid for. There's no punishment that's due us. So then imputation is kind of what then happens in the exchange from Christ. So we've put all of this onto Christ and he's paid for us. When you talk about imputation, we're talking about what is it that we receive from Christ through that, through his death and his substitution. So it's kind of, you could think about it as one's a negative, right? And uh, the Imputation has to do with the positive aspect, what God gives to us. So we're going to look at Romans. Let's go to Romans 6, and I think we'll read maybe a, a good portion here of Romans 6. You want to flip there. I think this was a tremendous, I'll just personally, this was a tremendous, uh, like powerful passage for me as a believer because I understood uh, Christ's death for me, his payment for my sin, the negative aspects of how he toned for me early in my um, walk. And I knew that I was then commanded to walk with him, to obey him, to walk by faith, trusting in him. And I just, it always, there was this tension because I kept seeing my sin, otherwise being sanctified, it's like, I see that... I'm not righteous, in other words. My life, my actions, my thoughts are not righteous. So how, how does that work? Like I was a sinner, now I'm saved. And so I didn't quite understand this idea of what does it mean that I'm righteous or where does my righteousness come from? Okay, so let's look at Romans chapter 6. And let's just read, um, let's probably the first 11 verses. Jason, you want to read? So Romans 6, 1 through 11. What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who die to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were, we were burdened. Oh, excuse me. We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in the new, in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin, now, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him, 
We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin, once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Yeah. Good. So let's just identify, what are some ways in which that passage says that we are united with Christ? Through death, right? Which verse are you looking at? It says specifically that for if Jesus has died, now if we have died with Christ, we will also be with him. Verse 8. Mm -hmm. We know that Christ will raised from the dead, will never die again. Yeah, so there's this, it's talking about that relationship with death, and we see it in verse 3 as well. All of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. So there's this element in which we died, um, our old self died with Christ. And then also, how else are we united with him? Well, it kind of specifies in verse 6 that not only did we die with him, but we were crucified. Right. With him. So there's this identification where he's actually standing in our place, taking that substitution. And it's through our faith that again, the idea is without Christ, you're you're gonna you deserve to die on that cross yourself, right? And so if you're not gonna actually die on the cross, you're gonna have to be united with him so that he can be taking our place, dying that death for us. And so we die with him, we're crucified with him. What else are we with him? United with him in a resurrection, Yeah, we're resurrected. And that we might what? Talk about after we're resurrected. Live with him. I think verse 4 talks about just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So there's this unification with Christ. And let's look at two other places before we kind of go on. So Romans 4, just go back a couple chapters. We've got this whole chapter where Paul is talking about Abraham and how he was justified. And we see that in verse 22. You guys all look at 422. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words it was counted to him were not written for his sake alone but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him who raised from in him who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So he says that is why that his faith was counted to him as righteousness. So he's talking about how Abraham's faith was counted to him as righteousness and so his faith was in God that he was going to deliver him to save him. And so when we have faith in Christ, we get it's not actually our you know righteous deeds alone that count that determines that now we have a righteous life. It's God's righteousness through Christ that's imputed to us, that's counted towards us on his behalf. 
And then uh, let's look at one more passage. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Oh, as in, you know, not 1 Corinthians, that's something different. I was like, that's not the same. So in 5, he's talking about how we're reconciled to God. Earlier on, he says, you know, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh. And as we go down towards the bottom of that chapter, he's imploring them, we implore you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. And in verse 21, for our sake, he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there's there's several things happening when we talk about our our faith and, and our trust in Christ on the cross. Okay, so um, when we think about his righteousness, what does that what does that mean that we received his righteousness? What's sig- significant about that? When God looks at us, he sees Christ's righteousness. Right. Right. Regardless of how we act. That day or that week or that month. Right. And so how does that affect us like day to day, week to week, when we seek to follow him and serve him? How does that knowledge like play out in our life? Keeps us from trying to earn it. Right. I had a good day. I had a good day. I had a bad day. No, good days you feel great. Bad days. Not really bad. Okay. So why, then why do we obey God, right? So it's kind of that question, right? So what's our, what's our motivation for obedience if, right, that's the question that's asked through the, the New Testament letters. Shall we continue in sin that grace may be that? So what is our motivation? To grow in Christ-likeness. And it, it frees us to be able to offer God something as mm-hmm. a gift and out of joy and mm-hmm. I mean if you're always just trying to repay a debt there's no debt in paying no joy in paying debt right right, right. <laughs> unless you can get to the end be like, yeah, yeah. Joy. I got it. but <laughs> everything we give the Lord is just an expression of our love for him <clears throat> yeah it's like if you're yeah if you're if you're trying to earn something you're always asking oh was that enough yeah was that good enough you know um, you know and Jesus when he talked about, he didn't say that, you know, if you're, if you're living a righteous life, then you'll obey my commands. He didn't really say that. Right? He said, if what? If you what, you'll obey my commands. If you love me, right? And, his, and Jesus, you know, many times gave these parables where he who is forgiven much loves much. And so when we think about when we're obeying, why, why are we seeking to obey God? It's never, it's never right motivation to, to obey God so that I can become righteous, right? Because that you'll never do that. And that defeats the, the purpose, and it takes away from what Christ did on the cross. He died to give you his righteousness. And trusting him makes you righteous, because like Krista said, when God looks at us, he doesn't see our performance, he sees Christ's death on our behalf. And so... It really changes our motivation as to why we serve God, right? Everything's paid for. We have the righteousness of God. 
And so our motivation is out of love and gratitude and the idea that as the more we're forgiven, the more we love. I really love Galatians 2.20. I've increased by the Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if right if righteousness were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. So understanding that when I grieve the Spirit in my behavior, then we could nullify Christ's death. I mean, we just have to understand he had purpose right. in his death. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So that's, that's when we talk about his death. Sometimes we, we think about this part primarily and kind of forget about this part, right? That Christ died not only to pay our sin, but to give us that righteousness. <clears throat> And I think when you look at Romans 6, you kind of get the idea that it's not, it, the two go together. It's not he, either he gives us his righteousness and it doesn't have any effect on our behavior. And it's not he, di- he died so that we would actually walk righteous. But it's he gives us righteousness and enables us to walk with him. Even though it's not perfectly, we grow in that sanctification. We grow in walking uh, more like him. I think we talked about a little bit already the... Is it, is it improper or unfair to reward a guilty party? Maybe not. Um, in, in the same way, I think, would it be acceptable to reap the benefits of another's work? Uh, let's look at Romans 6, 5. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. <clears throat> So we can see there that, again, God is the one that determines what's, what's acceptable and what's just. And he's, he says that if we're united with him in the likeness of his death, we'll be united with him in the likeness of his, of his resurrection. So I guess I have paused occasionally, but what does it tell us about the, just God's character, his nature, the fact that he gives us Christ's righteousness? This idea of imputation. I mean, there's a lavishness to what he did. Like, it would be enough if we had the first part of that exchange, right. in a sense, right? Okay, yeah. I escape the fires of hell. I can go to a place of, you know, right. neutrality or whatever. But um, he doesn't do that. He makes us. His, I mean, it's like Ephesians one. All of it is just like he's given you so. He's made you his son. Mm-hmm. He, sees you through the lens of Christ, um, loves you with that same kind of love. I mean, it just, he is so, he is the prodigal. Uh-huh. You know? That's he is the prodigal God. He just does not stop giving. Yeah. He's patient and long-suffering, and part of that Ephesians 1 is that he gives us everything. Uh-huh. He withholds nothing from us. Yeah, it doesn't matter. What the, what the sin, how lost we were, nothing is held back. There's no, well, give you this, or, right? No, no, everything is paid for or forgiven. I have some friends whose parents adopted a couple of those people. Mm-hmm. And um, their parents are amazing parents, and they took care of these girls, but they still 
one, they hoard food. Um, so they'll, they'll hoard it under the bed, they'll hoard it in closets, they'll put it wherever they can hide it because they, were, they never know when their next meal will uh -huh. be, despite them knowing when their next meal will be. They still have outbursts of anger which are misplaced. They still have certain reactions or certain mm -hmm. types of panic attacks. Um, and um, don't worry, I'm not just randomly stating the struggles of these girls. We're getting there. We're getting there. Uh, yeah. The point is, uh, I think if we look at it from the perspective of that's us, uh -huh. and we are, I don't want to say adopted by God, but through, through our salvation, we are adopted by God uh -huh. into his family. And so we're, we still, we might still hold on to our sins, or we might still hoard earthly pleasures because we never know when the next moment of joy will be, um, despite the fact that we know that we can always find joy in God. And so there's this, there's this similarity between, you know, God is perfect and, and loves us perfectly uh -huh. um, and has adopted us. Um, and eventually, hopefully, you know, as his children, we will... Right learn to better adapt the way these girls are actually doing and yeah. it's really great but yeah that's yeah yeah and that picture of actually living out and coming to understand what's always true that you are loved and that you are redeemed even though sometimes you forget and may forget that may not believe that there's always going to be food there and so you kind of hoard it but it's true so, um, when we talk about all the things that are done on the cross, sometimes, uh, even when sharing the gospel, the idea that all this was paid for and given to us, it's um, important to remember that it's not just the death, but also the resurrection. Right? The resurrection has, it's very much tied to the fact that it's not just that it, the debt is paid and we don't have to suffer in hell, but we also are able to be resurrected to a new life. So I think what we'll talk about um, now, kind of moving next time, is how is the resurrection equally or uniquely tied to uh, the death on the cross, his death on the cross. So let's go um, also to um, 1 Corinthians. We were in 2nd, so just go back in 1 Corinthians, chapter 15. And we're just going to talk about um, what was the nature of Christ's resurrection and read various passages that address him, the resurrected Christ. And I just thought before we would, in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul is he's addressing this idea of the bodily, the real resurrection of Christ and what place it holds and how, how important is that. And so we'll kind of pick up, he goes through, you know, what the gospel he received in verse, uh, verses 3, what I delivered to you as of first importance, what I received. Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. And he continues to go on. Then, in verse 12 and on, he gets into talking about what is what is the significance of that, that Christ has been raised. Okay. Anybody want to read there? I'll just, Andy, you want to go to verse 12 to 19? Yep. Now Christ is 
preach that he has been raised from the dead, how do some among you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is vain. Your faith also is vain. Moreover, we who are even found to be false witnesses of God, because we have testified against God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if in fact the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are all... We are of all men most to be pitied. Yeah, that's good. That's a good, that's a good place. Yeah, so the, he's, he's saying like everything hinges on whether or not Christ was raised. Right? So if Christ wasn't raised, that's all for naught. We're just the most pitiful on the planet. Toast. Toast. Yeah. <laughs> but if he has been raised, right? And so that's that key point, right? What do you do with Jesus? Who, who do people say that I am? If he was raised... That's totally different than if he wasn't. And again, that's this point at which the gospel, everything hinges on whether or not Christ was raised from the dead. And so let's read a few passages that talk about that from the gospels. So um, Matthew, we'll look at Matthew 28, um, Luke 24, John 20. Leo, you want to get uh, Matthew 28 there? And Chris, you can get Luke 24. Andrew, you can get the John 20. There. So, go ahead. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Right. Took hold hold of his feet. So that tells us he's got a real physical body. Okay. Luke twenty four. See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me, and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. They gave him a piece of broiled fish, and he took it and ate it before them. Yeah. So again, he he specifically says, I'm not a what? I'm not a ghost. I'm not a spirit. Right? It's not it's not a hallucination. Uh, they're touching his physical body. He takes some food. He eats the food. Right? So the fish disappear. Uh, John 20. Jesus said to her, stop clinging to me. For I have not yet ascended to the Father, but to go to my brethren and say to them, I ascend to my Father and your Father, and my God and your God. Yeah, stop clinging to me. It's like what you would say to your kids sometimes. Like, hanging all over. So evidently, like, she didn't want to let go of his, of his physical body there. And uh, I think it's significant. I mean, why do you think in, in the Luke passage, um, does it say specifically... Uh, about his scars, right? Oh yeah, verse forty, right? Showed them his hands and his feet. What do you think that he? That was an important thing. Why didn't he just? Because obviously he was resurrected in the sense that he wasn't bloody and battered and broken. And so why were those? Why were those scars still there? You think? Kind of hypothesizing here. Maybe to show that it was actually him. In yeah. Sense of like, you know, there's spirits who can appear as being delayed. So he's saying, look, I actually, you know, actually got crucified. Mm-hmm. 
could be kind of as a, some key identifying marks. Yeah, it's it's interesting to think about when they see him because um, in in the accounts at first um, they didn't re recognize him right away, right? Why do you think? Any any guesses as to why maybe they didn't recognize him right away? Because the last time they saw him, he was all bloodied and beaten. Right. That their expectations of this is what happened to Jesus. Right. They saw him. They maybe they, maybe they're the ones who helped prepare him and for burial. So yeah, they they were totally not expecting that resurrection, that resurrection body. So he had this physical body that was. Uh, he could eat. He would could they could touch him, and so it's interesting. You know, question E: What are some modern attempts that deny the bodily resurrection of Christ? Um, there's an interesting. Um, uh, he's like a biblical scholar that does debates, and named Gary Habermas, and he'll he'll start his debates by listing it varies from time to time, ten to fifteen facts that all. Biblical scholars, um, believers, unbelievers, skeptics, all agree on. Okay, they all agree that Jesus lived, that he died. You know, this, 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 that he was buried, and the disciples had experiences with what they believe was the risen Christ. Like they'll say, historically, there's no denying these facts, and then he'll say, how do you explain that, right? And he'll always argue that. You know, if we agree on all of this, you have to present a more, you know, logical, realistic. There has to be some explanation to all these facts that we agree happened. The church started, it grew, right? And all of these things that happened. The 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 New Testament, um, the apostles, they died as a result of believing that Jesus Christ was resurrected, and on and on and on. And so, when you think about it, like any ideas? What are the kind of the top few things that people will say? He didn't actually raise from the dead, but what? Body was stolen. Body was stolen. Chloe, the other day, my ten-year-old said she was. She was just. We were reading, and she said, "I'm so mad." And I, what are you? What are you mad about? She said, "They lied about what happened to Jesus." You know. <laughs> and then she said, she, "And we said something about um, other people." You know believing something else. Well, she said, well, didn't they read this? <laughs> it was a longer conversation. <laughs> so, yes, there's the, the idea that his disciples stole his body. And it's kind of, it's hard to explain how then they would then die a martyr's death if they, if they knew all the time. So what else? What's the other things that maybe? Voluntary. Right. He, he never actually died. He, he kind of, then he regained his strength in the cool of the, the tomb. Came back in the spirit. Mm -hmm. Spiritual. Um, and that, that kind of sometimes is mixed with um, like the whole hallucination, right? They were just, they were so grief-stricken that they were all having the same hallucination at the same, same time. That Judas was in on it and he didn't actually kiss Jesus. Yeah? We could write a novel and uh, <laughs> sell millions of copies. <laughs> I met, yeah, I had a lot of people uh, in my when I was in college, I think, is when the Da Vinci Code came.
came out and I would have people that would come and say, listen, you know, and they would give me all this stuff about what actually happened based on this, this uh, fictional, fictional novel. So, it, you'll, you'll never know what, what you might hear, so. Okay, let's read a couple more passages. Luke 24, 30 to 31. When he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it. Breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he vanished from their sight. And then in John 20, 14 through 16, when she had said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there and did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him the Hebrew, Rabboni, which means teacher. So we talked about um, why he wasn't uh, immediately recognizable. What did we see also that was unique in that passage, um, that previous verse? Where was it? Yeah, in the Luke 24. What? They recognized him and then what? Vanished from their sight. So it's, it's this physical body, but it seems to have some additional... Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not as, re not as a result of mutations, <laughs> but... Um, The gardener. <laughs> where is the yeah? Where is the gardener? Well, and it had to be a, a perfected body. Yeah. That's, that's what I've always understood. The the unrecognizable. I mean, it's it's different, but he is. I mean, there are things about him that he's recognized, but it is a perfected body. Mm -hmm. Yeah. There's a there's a passage about. Um, where the immortal, or the, the mortal puts one, the immortal, right? And so there is this idea in which we don't quite have, we just have a few hints in the sense that we look at Jesus' body and his resurrected body and just know, okay, we will have these physical bodies, but we see him doing some things that are not, not typical and not normal for our physical bodies right now. So it's very, uh, kind of gives you a little bit of a taste, a little bit of a curiosity about and so one, I guess one question to ask when you think about it, you know, would the resurrected Christ, do you think he would need food? We see him eating. Would he need to rest and sleep? Would he need, what, you know, any, any guesses in that direction? Will we need to sleep in heaven? What do you think? Will our resurrected, you're going to say no, Leo? Any, any reason? He's like, no, I don't think so. Probably not. I see, yes. If sleep is needed to regenerate Sleep is one of those things like you think about how much you spend of your life. And every day, just like your phone, it starts out full and then it <laughs> drains down, constantly reminding you, you're not God. You're not. <laughs> you can't make it 24 hours. I mean, maybe you can if you're studying for a final, 
Tell us kids are like, watch me. Watch me. <laughs> you just, you, you can barely make it a day before your body completely shuts down. And even if we don't have to sleep, does that mean that we won't be able to sleep? Because sleep can legitimately be yeah. an enjoyable thing. You know, the older I get, the more my bones hurt. But, but just, and that's why I sleep. But I yeah, here we've got a cane pretty soon. Oh, I'm going to hit hard. Just wait till your late twenties. Late twenties will get you. Late twenties will get you. Everybody who's retirement age just thought to hunt your thoughts My back already is Oh my goodness. Y'all are talking in Yeah, yeah, and there's there's definitely a lot of questions, a lot of mystery, a lot of things to just be looking forward to, right? a lot of wonder in that sense. All right, I think it's time to wrap up, so let me pray for us, and uh, we'll continue on. Lord, it is a joy to think about, um, just as we look at you and your resurrection, and the, the hope that you give us, that our bodies, we see people, our friends and our family members, we see people that are fighting cancer who experience tumors and chemotherapy and radiation and we see our bodies grow old and decay we see people die from accidents we see this death surrounding us and we see how frail our bodies are and to look at you resurrected from the grave with an imperishable body that will live forever we pray that we might have eternal hope that it would be placed in you and that uh, we would trust in you we just look forward and pray that as we think about these things that you'd give us great joy and hope and the strength to endure and face the trials of this life and of our daily struggles. And pray that this morning as we go together with that through listening to your word and singing songs of worship that we would uh, give you great glory and praise and that you'd be magnified in Jesus' name. Amen.